Hi, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Uniquely Better Life podcast, Stories of Hope and Recovery, hosted by the Willow Center. Uh, my name is Chase Cotton. I work here at the Willow Center, and I have with me uh, my new friend, Whitney, who is going to be sharing her story of hope and recovery today. But I like starting these episodes with a quick uh, mental health or recovery tip, and today's tip has to do with a phrase that we use pretty often here at the Willow Center, and the phrase is, the opposite of addiction is connection. What we mean by that tip, uh, by that phrase, is that connecting with other people in long-term recovery is ultimately one of the best moves you can make for yourself to help yourself stay in long-term recovery. We need those loving, supportive relationships, whether that's family members, whether that's new friends, in order to find support when we're feeling um, most downtrodden. And sometimes uh, we try and lone wolf it, right? We're, we're all eager to be our individual selves, uh, but that doesn't always work when it comes to recovering from addiction. We need good friends and good support. So remember that tip, the opposite of addiction is connection. Without further ado, we're going to play some intro music here and then uh, get into the story. Welcome, Whitney, to the Uniquely Better Life podcast. Thank you Hi. so much for being willing to be our guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi. Yes. Thank you, Chase. I am so happy to be here and um, be a part of the podcast. Um, I am just thrilled to share my story and um, give some hope to others that might possibly be struggling or just need a little bit of a boost to get you onto your path of recovery. I love that. Thank you for your willingness to share with us. No problem. Why don't you just dive in? What is your story of hope and recovery? Oh, man. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, but yes, my story, just a little bit about me. Um, I grew up um, in Texas. Um, I was born and raised there uh, for the majority of my life till I was about 12 years old. While living in Texas, um, my parents are both military and they were also deacons in the church of where we went. Okay. Um, very highly revered people in our community, um, a small military community, but a community nonetheless. Sure. Um, we grew up with a lot of discipline and a lot of um, high standards. We had a lot of things that we were due to achieve in life. And, you know, um, getting to the highest point of yourself was one of those things yeah. um that can cause a lot of pressure put a lot of pressure on kids I you know to imagine. live up to absolutely so i took that on a lot as a kid i that was very important to me to make my parents proud um but with moving to um, indianapolis when i was 12 years old life changed you know we didn't have the same kind of background mm -hmm. i was exposed to a lot more then um my parents were never we never talked about drugs or alcohol sure. or anything like that um, the biggest conversation we had was just don't do it um my parents you know they had their own past but i never experienced them in any type of situation where they were drinking around us or anything like sure. that um so it was Especially not in their positions exactly like, yeah. so that was not something that i was familiar with at all and quite um quite sheltered from that lifestyle sure. 
Um, but moving into Indianapolis, the first time I had my first drink, I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. My older sister, she was six years older than me and she was already in college. And, you know, with my parents wanting us to move on to a secondary degree after school and all that, um, they're like, go with your sister, see what college life is all about. And I did exactly just that. (laughs) (laughs) Not on the way that they expected me to, but you know, that's when I had my first drink. And I can remember to this day, that feeling of just euphoria that it brought me Mm -hmm. having that first drink because I was a shy kid. Um, very insecure Mm -hmm. and so with drinking and indulging in that way kind of made those feelings go away and as I drank more they definitely went away Mm -hmm. so I fell in love with how I felt not so much the taste at first but you know I'm not feeling shy I'm not feeling insecure anymore and so that immediately made a um a connection in my brain that this is what I need. This is the anecdote to get over my fears of being with social anxiety and everything else. Um, So from that time on, I mean, the drinking was far and few between, but anytime there was an opportunity to drink, I drank Um, getting through high school and all that, you know, my parents are very strict. They wanted us to get through school and graduate. Um, And then, so I didn't drink or party or anything like that to my senior year of college, not college, I'm sorry, high school. And so there is that feeling again, that euphoria of just like, this feels good to me. This Mm -hmm. is how I can change and to be the person that's outgoing and social, just like my sisters were, but without drinks. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, And so that kind of moved me on into like, okay, I'm going away to college and I'll be able to do this oh, whenever no. I want. Exactly yeah. that excitement um, that I felt that I'll be in this environment where this is socially acceptable. Right. As most college kids do, not all, but most college kids do. And that's what I wanted to do, especially being raised in a faith based home where mm-hmm. I didn't see that I wasn't exposed to that. I was craving a different lifestyle. Yeah. You know, so it has that allure of being forbidden for so long. And oh yeah. The door is open. I finally get to do it. And with nobody looking at me sure. or having to feel like I'm bringing shame to my parents. So right. of course, you know, in college I partied a lot. I did all the things, went to all the events, especially if they had alcohol involved. Mm-hmm. And so with a lot of college kids, they indulge, not in a healthy way of drinking alcohol. A lot of it is binge drinking right. and how who can get the drunkest the fastest. And mm-hmm. that was the lifestyle I was leading. Um, unbeknownst to me, learning a habit of unhealthy and uh, of how to um, partake in that way unhealthily. It sure. wasn't it didn't seem like that because everybody was doing it. Um so creating a habit within myself that I would carry on throughout my adulthood. Mm-hmm. So once I've graduated college, I've got the degree. I'm good. Um, moved back home with my parents. That lasted for a few months. And then I was like, you know what? I really want to go back to how I was living before. I didn't want anything to do with God or my faith or, sure. you know, my morals and values and standards that I'd been raised with my whole life. I'd mm-hmm. been doing something so different for four years and I like right, that right so I moved out on my own um with my with my sister we got our first apartment mm-hmm. and we partied a lot we literally just picked up right where we left off in sure. college 
And um, with the drinking and the partying and my schedule with work allowed that. Mm-hmm. So I had plenty of time to do whatever whatever I wanted. Um, there I met um, my first adult boyfriend when I w- at a bar um, I frequented a lot. Sure. And so with that, we started a whirlwind <laughs> romance of honestly, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Yeah. Um, he was, he worked in that industry sure. and I loved that industry. Mm-hmm. And then dating somebody within that industry brought its own perks. Um, so it's kind of just feeling like this high life. I, a small town celebrity, mm-hmm. as I, as you can say. Um, so I fell in love with that lifestyle and drinking was a part of that. Al- um, alcohol, of course, yes. And drugs and, you know, all the things, all the things that can come with that. And I fell in love with it. Um, as time moved on through our relationship, we actually decided that, you know, hey, what we want to change our lives. You want it. We're, we want to okay. adult. Yeah. Start adulting. Right. Um, and that didn't work out so well for us. Mm. Um, once the party was over, life got really real, yeah. really quickly. Bills to be paid. Bills to, to be please. paid. And, you know, when you have habits that you developed, um, cost a lot of money to keep up with those habits and so bills did not always get paid and we had a lot of struggles and our relationship became very toxic um just from the people we were hanging around and Mm. then one of our favorite pastimes was drinking and using right um marijuana specifically and so you know that just became something we did that's what kept us together for a long time and then after our relationship had just gotten so toxic, it was it was unmanageable mm-hmm. between us even. So yeah. I moved back home with my parents. And by this time, I was just so far deep into alcoholism that I didn't even see how far gone I was. Yeah. Um, I had isolated myself away from my family and friends. They didn't see a lot of what was going on with sure. me. And so when I moved home, they just really saw this person that they didn't recognize anymore. I thought that was really difficult. Oh, my gosh. They just kind of looked at me with that kind of just that concerned look, you know, that your parents gave you that you're just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what happened to you? And, you know, that was really sad. But at the same time, all I could think about was drowning it all with alcohol. So Mm. I kept on the same habits of just drinking all the time. And that was the beginning of a couple of downward spirals for me, dealing with depression, um, dealing with anxiety issues. Um, My only answer was drinking, period. I need to shut all of this out. I want to shut the world out. And so and what I hear you saying is effectively it was the only coping skill you had. Absolutely. Yes. Life, if it was hard, I was coping with alcohol point blank period yeah that was my only answer unfortunately um so yeah just to keep it short on the shorter side of things um i ended up getting in trouble a lot Mm -hmm. i got to be honest i got like three duis yeah two within the same year Mm -hmm. because for some reason drinking and driving went hand in hand for me i mean whether i had it with me in the vehicle or i had been drinking before i got in the vehicle or after it didn't matter right so you know, my life was really on this downward slope. And to me, it wasn't the fact that my drinking was a problem. It was the fact that I was getting behind the wheel of a car sure. and drinking. Sure. 
not that I'm suffering and I'm coping with alcohol. Right. The problem to fix became right. the issue of drinking and driving. Not exactly. Drinking. Not me. Of course not me. It's just when I get behind the wheel of a car. Right. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can honestly say that I, I had a really hard time admitting I had an issue. I had a problem. And I was not willing to say that out loud. Yeah. Um, my parents would ask me about it. I'm like, oh, no, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. I can fix this i just do this because i want to um not knowing that yeah deep down i couldn't stop if i wanted to even in the attempts of drinking i was trying to quit drinking excuse me i couldn't go days i couldn't go 30 days without a drink that seemed absolutely impossible um let alone a week um i'm like i can do it for a week i couldn't even do it three days so that just tells you where i'm at and then through all of this now it's not only is it affecting my family, it's starting to affect me job wise. Mm-hmm. It's I'm starting to I- isolate myself. I'm not, you know, engaging with friends in a healthy way. I'm just I'm at the parties, but I'm trying to see how everybody else is drinking. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, OK, don't out drink that person. Um hold on to your cup for as long as you can. So nobody knows that when you get home, you're going to be absolutely sloshed. You're going to go and get whatever you got to do to be drunk. Right. You know, just putting on this facade that everything was okay when it really just wasn't. Um, of course, admitting that something is wrong or that I have a problem comes with an enormous amount of mm-hmm. societal shame. Oh my gosh. Which isn't fair necessarily mm-hmm. to the person struggling. Absolutely. Right? I mean, Let's be honest, in American society and a lot of societies, alcohol is fine. Alcohol is condoned. Alcohol is celebrated. Right. But it's when you cross that line into alcoholism and saying, I have a problem with this, is when everybody starts saying, ooh, ooh, it's yeah. the boogeyman. It's Can't hang scary. out with her anymore. Can't, yeah, fuddy-duddy. Now you have to quit drinking. Right. Um, Add to that the pressure from your parents, the yeah, upbringing. Absolutely. And of all of it's crashing down on me like you're not good enough anymore. Mm. You've done all these things. You've been arrested. You've been incarcerated because my last UI, I had to be incarcerated for 64 days. Yeah. And that's when it actually really hit me about, okay, this is a problem. My drinking is a problem. Mm-hmm. It's not everything else around me. Mm-hmm. I have to fix it. And then I'll just be honest then. Um, you know, when I was getting the orders as far as going, you're going to become a part of drug court. We're going to help you. You're gonna, you need rehabilitation. I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's fine and great. I'll just learn how to modify drinking. I'll mm-hmm. learn how to responsibly do it. Still not quite there knowing that I can never pick up a drink again if I want to save my life. Right. Um, if I might interrupt for the yeah. listener who doesn't know what drug court is that yes. Whitney just mentioned, drug court is a restorative justice program that exists throughout the United States where a judge and a probation department and a treatment provider will work collaboratively with individuals who have repeat drug related offenses in order to treat the individual as opposed to just punish them. Yes. Because punitive justice is not always justice. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm really thankful for drug court because, you know, um, a lot of people don't get that opportunity right. where it could be drug related or alcohol related and they really need treatment, mm-hmm. not punishment. Right. And, you know, it is a rehabilitation program to help get you on your way to living that sober life. Honestly, I don't think I could have gotten there without drug court. Wow. I was not 
there. I was not strong enough mm-hmm. to do it on my own. That which is sad. That just shows you the state of affairs I was in. Um, so yeah, just being incarcerated was really hit home for me. Yeah. I had been spent a weekend, maybe a couple of days away, but you know, really being isolated away from my family and my friends and my fiance at the time, it was eye opening. Yeah. And it really taught me a lot about myself and you know, that things have got to change. Right. And you know, I was excited to get out and get on my way, but still at the same time thinking I could modify drinking. It wasn't. And I was scared to death of AA. I only saw what I saw on TV. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be in that room. Who are these people? This is scary. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It's intimidating. It was so intimidating. And I just sat in the back and was quiet and just like, oh, my gosh. Okay, we're just going to take it in. We're just going to. We're going to take it for what it is. This is what you have to do to get through the program. Right. But as I kept going to these meetings and seeing these people and people sharing their story and learning about the steps of AA, I realized I could never pick up a drink again. This was literally life or death for me. Right. Um, and that's how I have come to know the Willow Center was actually through this program. And I've received a lot of help and a lot of counsel and working that working these steps with a sponsor that, you know, realizing that my drinking was just a symptom of everything else. That's so important. Yes. Can you say that again? Yeah, absolutely. Drinking my drinking was just a symptom of everything else that was going on inside of me. The Mm -hmm. shame, the guilt the perfectionism that I still struggle with to this day, still getting counseled for, um, all of the deep, dirty things that I'd done and couldn't live with myself. Couldn't look in the mirror and say, wow, I like the person that I see. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I coped was through drinking. And so I've learned that a lot and, you know, how to change my mentality. Like, yeah, I am an alcoholic and I'm actually, I'm in recovery, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not in active alcoholism anymore. And sometimes thinking about the things I did while I was in active addiction is still hard, but at least I can look at it now and understand, Hey, you're not at that spot anymore and you can recover. But it was Chase, like you said it perfectly. It's about connection. Yeah. A lot of us think <laughs> we can do it on our own mm-hmm. and that is just absolutely not true. Um, the connection that you build within the AA community, a spiritual group, both. It doesn't matter. You have to find that connection with people that can help you walk this journey because you can find yourself isolated again. Right. And then when you're isolated with your thoughts, sometimes not always a good thing. Mm-hmm. You can find yourself like this is too much. This is overwhelming. I know what to do to fix it. And that's using and that's not the answer. So. Yeah, that's just basically my story, and yeah. So tell us about where you're at now then. Give us the update. What what progress have you made? What are the next steps in your journey of recovery? Yeah, um, I'm almost a year sober. It'll Congratulations, be 11 Whitney. months. Yes, That's incredible. You. I am so excited. Um, 11 months, you might as well say 11 years to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because 11 hours was a lot 
back then. And I can just be happy for where I am now because I'm almost a year to the spot I was where I was on my last downward spiral. Right. And seeing just where I am today compared to where I was last year, where I was just a mess, Mm -hmm. um, completely broken down mentally, physically, all the things, um, and trying to recover. It was so hard that first, that early recovery is really hard. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's a lot of looking in to yourself and Mm -hmm. figuring out what's going on. Um, but stick with it. Stick with it. That 30 days, that 60 days, that 90 days, you know, go to those meetings, find those friends, find that sponsor early mm-hmm. on and, you know, get that help that you need to get for somebody that's working an active program as well. But where I am, my life has changed 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely engulfed in my faith. Um, And that was through AA. Like I said before, like I had completely lost a sense of my faith as a child because I grew up in a situation where this is all I knew. Right. I didn't have a, I didn't have an understanding of what this is supposed to mean to me personally. Right. In a lot of ways, it was your parents' faith. Yes. I I was living on their faith and I was like, oh, you know, it's whatever. It's fine. They're praying for me. It's good. But in this program, I have found that I, I can have a relationship with God, my higher power, or you might have a different higher power. Um, but that's mine. And you know, my relationship through him has brought me far. And then the people around me have brought me so far. And then the drug court, the, you know, the accountability there has Mm -hmm. made me really buckle down and be responsible and accountable for the person that I was. And, my treatment, if I don't want to go back to that person I used to be, I have to dig in. It's sure. not just get through it for two years and then go back. No, this is to help develop skills for the rest of my life so I don't need to go back. Like That's such an mm-hmm. important point. I appreciate yeah. you saying that. I, I think that sometimes you know, the stigma that's projected upon the recovery community is that it's just... Um, it's just a phase right. that someone goes through as opposed to a lifestyle. Like, Absolutely. We believe that recovery is a culture right? yeah it's something absolutely. we are building together mm-hmm. um and, and you know it's, it's a it's a building made of blocks of of love and hope and connection like you're illustrating yeah it, it's so important it's not a phase it's like dieting isn't it like mm-hmm. if you want a serious lifestyle you have to change your diet you have That's to change comparison. your exercise habits you have to change what you're eating you have to seek a nutritionist a lot of times sure to figure out what's going on with your body and how do you get to the certain point that you want to be at it's no different than any other disease that we're dealing with in society it's just looked down upon just like we receive treatment for cancer and uh, diabetes and you have to go to through constant treatment and you have to be on um, a treatment plan. This right. is the same situation. Right. So, you know, I encourage those who need help, get that help, see a doctor, reach out to your community and find those people so you can start a treatment plan. Yeah. Amen to that. So if you had to narrow it down to just one or two things that you would consider like the most important lessons that you learned in the context of your story of recovery, what would those lessons be? Ask for help. Hmm ask for help it starts with asking for help um 
because if you can't come to the end of yourself and realize I can't do this on my own, you will never get to that point where you can take it in until you're forced to. Unfortunately, that's my situation. Mm -hmm. I couldn't say it out loud. So therefore, I got to the point where I had to be in trouble to get on the right path. But now I've taken the path for my own. It's something that I accept. Sure. Um, there's a community out there for you. Yeah. You might feel alone. You might feel like you're the only person going through this right now, but you're not. There are community. There's resources for you. The Willow Center. <laughs> <laughs> plug. They're great. Plug. <laughs> Small plug. Um, they're an amazing community of people. And, you know, you think you sometimes we don't know what the other side looks like when we've lived in a situation, especially of using for so long. You're like, I'm used to this. This is comfortable for me. What is sobriety going to look like? All I can. I was scared, too. I was like, what is this going to. My life is over at this point. Right. No more fun for me. And I. Yeah, there's no uh, such thing as fun and sobriety. There's no right? such yeah. thing. And that is absolutely not true. Honestly, I'm having the most fun, the most sober fun. And I am clear. I don't have to worry about what I did the night before. I'm I, another perk is I'm not waking up hungover. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's absolutely amazing. And just just find those people find that community that can help you and AA and um you know any of the NAs or things like that they're so broad you can find something that fits you mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah so. that's great so philosophically speaking then or I suppose in your case spiritually speaking what does yeah. hope mean to you hope means recovery hope means mm. redemption Hope means forgiven. You're forgiven for all the things that you think are just deplorable. No one would ever, if people knew this about me, I would be shunned from society. If people knew this about me, I would have no family. I would have no friends. And even if you might be facing situations like that, you can, you're forgiven. You can be redeemed through your actions finding that higher power amending that you are powerless and like I need help yeah there's so much hope and just saying the words of I need help mm -hmm. and taking that and running with that and just knowing that life does not have to stay this way always yeah Whitney what an honor to hear your story thank, thank you, you for your willingness to share that with me and and with our listeners oh I, it, it's my pleasure I appreciate it if you could leave our listeners with just, you know, one final bit of encouragement, single sentence, what would it be? You're loved, you're worth it, and you're worthy. You are worth it, you are loved, you are worthy. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to the first ever episode of the Uniquely Better Life podcast, Stories of Hope and Recovery. Uh, my name is Chase Cotton. I've been your host. I work with the Willow Center here in Brownsburg, Indiana. Um, if you haven't heard anything else today, please hear this. There is no shame in asking for help. Whether you are in central Indiana and you want to reach out to us, uh, our phone number is 317-852-3690. Or if you're listening from afar, I would encourage you to do a quick search or connect with a, a local resource guide to find those treatment providers for mental health and addiction near your community where you might be able to get the assistance you need. Until next time, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you.